Good evening, everyone. Welcome back into the Sokol Snipers podcast, your all things Creighton women's basketball podcast that got put on the back burner for a second, but we're back um, in action tonight. I figure it's a good way to middle of the season, bye week, big game coming up. Um, good time to take a snapshot of the Creighton women's basketball team, get you guys caught up on everything that's been going on with the team, everything that's coming up for the team, and yeah, just general, general stuff that's been on our mind. Um, I'm at I'm Matt DeMarinas, obviously from WhiteAndBlueReview.com. Uh, I am your host tonight. Uh, gracious enough to join me with her or to give me some of her time and her insight is a uh, former Big East Player of the Year and former Atlanta Dream, uh, what swing woman? Call you that right? You kind of just ran sure. around there and <laughs> caught and shot threes, right? Swing yeah. woman Jalen Agnew um, <laughs> is on the pod tonight. Uh, Jalen, how we doing? How's it feeling right now? Mid season, doing good. Feeling pretty good about this season. Had a, a tough stretch there for a bit, but I think we're back on, back on the roll. So that's a good way to start it off because that stretch was interesting for- from a few per- <laughs> perspectives, right? Because obviously, when you, if you got caught looking ahead like I did at December, it was very you know that's a gauntlet of a schedule. You had, you know, Villanova. St. John's on the road, uh, Drake, Arkansas at home, Stanford on the road, UConn at home, Paul on the road. Like, but if it didn't feel like I felt like that was like if you go 500 or around 500 in that stretch, I think you've done yourself enough in terms of building a resume, right? But when they got when they got their clocks cleaned by UConn, they kind of were pretty open about feeling like the pressure was starting to overwhelm them. That big game after big game after big game was kind of starting to take its toll a little bit. Did you did you get the sense that that, that schedule um, was maybe more unforgiving than going in from a competitor standpoint where you're like, yeah, let's play all the top teams. Sure, there's no reason for a, a break in between there. Just line them up. Yeah, that is definitely tough. Um, just, I mean, I know the girls like love a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. and I, Anna plans up that challenge, the whole staff is. Um, but very daunting, like you said, um, just back to back to back. And then it's like the Yukon Stanford. And then you have like, like, those are like the, obviously going to be like super hard games that, you know, we'll see what happens. But then it was the ones before that, like the Drake that you don't think would be like the unassuming ones kind of, you know? Um, and I think those ones, honestly, for me would probably take it out of me more so than the UConn and Stanford ones. Um, Cause those ones hit a little more close to home, you know? Um, but yeah, I think um, it's a tall task and if they powered through um, now, but I know that was hard during that time. I thought it was good for them to admit that, you know, just to admit like, yeah, we're feeling some pressure here. Like we just need to, have to take a deep breath, maybe have an honest conversation or two with ourselves and, just kind of admit it's okay to be overwhelmed by what we've just gone through the last, you know, the first two months of the year, you know, don't you think that was probably a little bit refreshing because I guess you go through it as a competitor and you're, you know, that competitive mindset is kind of like, don't show any weakness, right. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't let anybody know you're blinking or flinching or whatever it is, but I don't know. It feels like ever since they kind of just admitted, I mean, UConn humbled them, right. They didn't think they were going to get rolled over like that. So that probably surprised them a little bit, but. You know, to come out pretty honest after that, especially, um, you know, if you win one and then lose again, Providence, 
Mm-hmm. You know, there was probably a moment there where they just had to be a little bit honest with themselves, but I think they've come out of it a lot better as a team because they just had, you know, just to clear the air, like, Hey, look, it's okay to feel pressure. It's okay to be overwhelmed. Um, just take it a day at a time and get through this together. You know, I feel like that's what they've done. For sure. I think, um, like you said, having that honest conversation and just like, especially just getting it out there for everyone, not having it be some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like elephant in the room. Yes. Elephant in the room. Exactly. Um, just getting it out there and like letting people know or letting the whole team know, like that was hard. Like, it's okay. We will be okay. That was a super hard stretch. Um, just, and I think that's important. And I'm sure they, like you said, did that in, um, just kind of had took that next step. Um, I think they definitely have bounced back. So, um, super important for them to do that. I'm sure that I'm sure the coaching staff had a bunch of different ideas on what to do, but that was probably one of the the big ones that obviously helped. Yeah, that's the whole thing to me too. Was when you when you process, um, their schedule up to that point, like you know, just say coming out of DePaul, you know. Like that's they played. I don't think they realized it, but they played like the hardest schedule in the country next to UConn. Like that's the only no one challenged themselves like Creighton did this year. And maybe it's, yep. you know, it's not always intense. It's not like Flan went out there looking for, you know, the top five teams in the preseason AP poll and said name a time and place. Basically, you know, there was some <laughs> like Drake being good, South Dakota State being good, like Nebraska being good. Yep. There's no don't I want being good. There's some coincidences in there, right? You hit all these teams at the mm-hmm. at the right time in their trajectory, right? So it made it tougher than maybe just playing Stanford and UConn back to back would have been. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like they never to me seemed like they were um, underwater as much as maybe it felt. I just felt like that stretch For was going to sure. be really tough. Maybe they didn't want to lose at home to Arkansas before going to Stanford and before going on break. Maybe that was probably the the one hiccup they weren't anticipating um mm-hmm. like they probably felt that stanford and yukon games were like the toss-up ones and everything else was games they probably should take care of because they have beaten those teams in the past but sure. i don't know it's i think i think what they've done in terms of a resume and putting it together is something that they shouldn't be sweating as much as maybe they were but i think they also came out of that stretch better because i do i do subscribe to the theory that iron sharpens iron if you're you know, if you're able to stay healthy and you're able to use those repetitions in the right way, and I think everyone on this team, all the way up and down to the tenth man from the you know from the top player, has gotten better these first two months of the year. For what sure. do you feel? I would agree completely. Um, like you said, I mean, Carly Bachelor came out last game and was hooping, and um, you know, maybe we wouldn't have seen that um, from her if it weren't for her being in some of those tough games and kind of seeing what she could do. Um, so I think all those th- games will be you know, a lesson at, at some point. Um, hopefully, you know, throughout the rest of the season, they can um, take what they've learned from them um, and just, you know, get become even better and um, just click more, I think. Um, but I, th- I think they're a good lesson. I mean, any loss is a good lesson, especially – if you were concerned, but then you take a step back and you're like, all right, we're actually okay. Then it's like, we know we can, we'll be fine. And we can be even better than what we were. So I think, I think everything will work out. Yeah. The thing that, the thing that to me that stands out too, is like 
it's just just for comparison's sake. It's not to knock anybody that's coming up on the schedule or anything like that, but it does it does ease up comparatively. You know, mm-hmm. you're not you don't have a home and home with Stanford. You don't have you know home yeah. and home with Arkansas. Like it, it does get you know there are some Butlers in there. There's some Georgetowns now. Obviously losing at home to Providence was probably yeah. the wake up call. Like if I didn't, <laughs> yes. if I didn't look at the schedule when the season started and go, yeah, that's one we're probably going to have to bring our A game to. But um, that's college basketball also. Like Providence is currently mm-hmm. sitting 106 in the net, so they're right around the top 100. You know the league's maybe just a little bit better this year holistically mm-hmm. than people anticipated and. They got caught on a bad defensive night, and that's what happened. Um, but I think since then, something that interesting that's happened uh, tangibly is on the defensive side of the floor, they've been more instinctual and less scout centric. Yeah, and you, and and be, you know, coming from Flan's program, you know how you know att- how details matter because mm-hmm. you do have to shore up deficiencies when you're facing, you know, a six foot five post, or you have quickness deficiencies. You have to be able to mm-hmm outsmart people on the defensive end of the floor a lot of the time, right? But I think it's interesting that they've been kind of scrapping that a little bit to a degree, kind of scaling back and simplifying defensive game plans for the team and allowing them to, you know, be successful on that end of the floor off of just instinct and effort. Do you feel like they've been looser on the defensive end of the floor because of that? Because it seems like they're putting together larger stretches of good defense because they're just kind of going off instinct and skill and everything they know about basketball. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I don't know what year it was, but I remember there was a year where we were, I mean, like you said, very into scout, you know, being more cerebral than other team, but I don't know what game it was or what section it was had to have been during conference, but they were like just just go like they gave a scout don't don't forget they gave a scout but yeah, yeah. It was you still have tendencies like, for sure yeah still have scout but they said like just play like don't you're everyone's thinking too much everyone's like too worried about this that the other um but just go out there and play and i think just allowing them to and chev i know always says this um says be a basketball player and like that's i think what they've um kind of been doing more recently as just like you said, being looser um, and just being basketball players and allowing themselves to feel the game and not always be so like locked in on scout. It's amazing how it just frees them up a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I don't think scouting is a problem. I actually watch, you know, you watch some teams that are always usually in the top ten or kind of around there, and you watch them play, and you're like, gosh, I wish you would just execute some scheme. <laughs> and not try to just, you know, just out-talent people every time because you'd probably do yourself more favors. Like, I think, you know, one game, I was watching Stanford and Tennessee before because Creighton was going to play Stanford in a couple of days after that. And, man, Tennessee gave them a chance to win that game out there, but they just never made any defensive adjustments to double the post or, you know, trick it up a little bit against Stanford to make them have to guess, you know, for a second offensively. It was kind of just our five versus your five, and let's see who can – who can win matchups. And it's like, gosh, yeah. you know, had you just been a little bit more, you know, about tendencies, you might've won that game, you know, but you didn't do yourself. Right. Any so I, I swear. Do... Oops, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, okay. Go. I swear like the like bigger conference schools do not that they don't scout, but like, I am not even kidding. I remember playing like certain people and like you said, they pretty much just like, like maybe UCLA, for example, when we played them a couple times, my uh-huh. sophomore year, like, uh-huh. 
no scout whatsoever. Like it didn't seem like they were at least, and they were just like athletes and just being more athletic than us. And that's how they won. And it's like, imagine if they like were that more cerebral and focused mm -hmm. on scout, like they could be 10 times better, but they were just, you know, pooping out there. <laughs> and exactly. it's nuts. I, I swear, like, I who was I telling I was telling someone about that like even like when we played a bunch of the bigger schools UCLA whatever that that were the, like the power five um mm -hmm. like rarely were scouted or either rarely scouted or did not care what the scout said because yeah. I feel like they would give us like our tendencies right hand shooter like they might know shooter but like besides that like nothing else like they were just out there hooping you just let you do your thing huh <laughs> yeah so that's what i mean there is value in scout like yeah and and there's value in knowing tendencies because you know you'd be surprised at how much how much how how much you can be effective defensively if you just know hey this person's dominant hand is the left hand they love hate left hand drives or if they're on the right side of the floor they're not going to be you know uh as aggressive you know um things like that but i do think you know especially these matchups that they've had where you bring Marquette in your own gym, you bring Seton Hall in your own gym, where it's, you know, there's, they're kind of star heavy, right? Like Marquette, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, they're really, you look at Jordan King and Chloe Murata, their usage is really high. Um, Seton Hall, it's, it's uh, Lauren Park Lane and, and Sydney Cooks. And then they kind of just make plays for everyone around them. So yeah. if you just focus on maybe just their tendencies and not everyone's tendencies, and then just fly around, communicate. Um, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. And I think that's Creighton's defense has some life to it all mm -hmm. of a sudden now out of this stretch because they're kind of just playing basketball and, you know, playing together and not really worried about – because I guess when you're thinking, you're not moving as fast, right? That's the whole the old sure. adage, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. if, it's, if it's processing in your mind, your feet aren't moving, you're, yes. you know, you're, not, you're not acting out there on the court because you're thinking everything through. I don't know. It just feels like they're looser on that end of the floor. And that's weird to say that you're loose defensively because usually that's what you want to be on offense. And that's kind of how flow happens. But it does feel like they've been unlo they've unlocked a little bit of themselves defensively by just being simplifying game plans, being looser and just flying around and going off instinct more than, um, you know, just, hey, what are these three tendencies right here for this player? Like, what do I have to worry about here? You know, for sure. We would we would get quizzed. Um sometimes on yeah. on scout <laughs> oh what a time yeah for sure um and i asked flynn about their if they have figured out their defensive identity quite yet to this team and he thinks they're getting close and i understand what he means by that because there are going to be not every game is going to be the same for them they're mm -hmm. going to be there's going to be games where they can line up and just match up size and speed and skill and just be able to play more on instinct because those matchups one through five are more similar, mm -hmm. but there's also still going to be times on the schedule where they'll have to be creative in, you know, their positioning as a unit when they're trying to stop the ball from going into a six foot four post or a six foot five post or, or dealing with corralling a shifty quick ball dominant player. That's going to be able to create if she can get downhill into the paint. So mm -hmm. it's not it's not like they are totally going to be beholden to, you know, more simplified scouting reports and just based on instincts. But it does feel like finding some middle ground there is kind of 
this team's bread and butter. Because even if you watch them play offensively, it's, it stands out. They seem to be a pretty high IQ group, don't you think? I would say so, yeah. I would say so for sure. Um, and I think just – and it's convenient that they've – they're it's a pretty good core and that they've played together now for a while. Um, of course, that always helps. But I would definitely say um, a high IQ. Just You can just tell by the way they move the ball. Um, I don't know. It just it for me it's obviously it's obvious to see and I'm sure for you too because like we've watched Creighton women's basketball and we know like what to look for, um and so yes we can both say that <laughs> but some other people will be like what are you talking about it's like yeah no we just but it's not just buzzwords <laughs> they look like yeah like you said the camaraderie because they've played yeah. a lot of games together and mm-hmm. it, yeah it just looks like they they know basketball like they're yes. you know they're hoop heads right they understand the game and they understand yes. how to how to make five play as one kind of thing. Yes. I think that's something they do really well. So, yeah, I think that's why they've been really good defensively because, you know, it, once you can find a way to connect yourselves on that end of the floor, I mean, it's so easy to string stops together. And then offense mm-hmm. becomes so much easier, doesn't it, right? When you string stops together and just get For into sure. some basic flow and basic motion and, you know, create mismatches in transition, like offense is a lot easier when you string stops together, isn't it? 100%, yes. And and it just gives gets everyone hyped up. Um, get a couple of stops and maybe like six oh run or eight oh run and it's like all right like let's go and I and there I've noticed very good um about just like hyping each other up and getting those like big plays a couple stops in a row and really like feeding off of that um they're they really like feed into that I think and that's really good for them especially now that they're finding their kind of defensive identity um so I think that'll only help them here in the future let's talk about a few individuals that i think have gotten a lot better um i want to start with rachel saunders because um you know she's kind of an old head on the team you know her mm-hmm. she can see the end more than she can see the beginning at this point because she's been through <laughs> been through so much already um yeah. you know she came back for this year and it was interesting to me that she did because obviously she's been through so much physically with you know injuries and whatnot mm-hmm. And to have an Elite Eight run in what technically was a senior season, even though she had some eligibility left, mm-hmm. felt like felt like to me a good storybook capper, right? But she came back without any question. She was in the gym in April. They were they were doing team workouts, um, individual mm-hmm. workouts. They were organizing themselves. So she can, there was something still left for her. I think she had a lot of fun in that NCAA mm-hmm. tournament run and kind of wanted to for see sure. if, the, if the bar could raise a little bit there. Um and then she got that injury, like, you know, halfway through the second game. I think it was early third quarter at South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, don't let this be a big-time one, right? You're just holding your breath right. for her because you don't want her to come back for a super senior year and then have it taken away that quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she got she came back. I think the Drake game was her first game back. And, you know, you could tell the difference on the floor, just the way things operate with her out there, her energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also been crazy efficient this year offensively. I think she's figured out how to play with, or how, how to play with, and how to play off of those three primary scorers. Um, For sure. Because when you look at her efficiency, uh, you know she's one of the most efficient players in the country when she, you know, makes a decision to to attack and score. You know, which mm-hmm. I guess it probably wouldn't pop in my mind that Rachel Saunders is the most efficient offensive player in the country, but she's very, she's very selective and she knows yeah. how to get to her spots and finish when she takes, when she calls her own number, she knows how to put the ball in the hoop. 
for sure. For sure. Yeah. And um, I think she's an important leadership piece, of course, for this group. Um, and like you said, that energy, like um, just like I said, feeds the team and she is by far the biggest energy bringer. Um, I mean, even on my teams, I played with her. Um, nice. It was always fun having her there because, you know, she would bring that energy defensively. And now, you know, coming into her own like this year, um, I think, again, just playing with each other for so long. And once you get to that point, you like know your role, you know, like what to do for yourself and how you're going to help the team. And I think she's just really owned up to that. And um, it's been as you as the numbers have said, it's been <laughs> it's been super, um, super good. And she just is knows her knows her role and knows how she can help the team. Um, and it's been very helpful. And she's been doing a great job at it. Yeah, one of my favorite Rachel Saunders stories is uh, it was your senior year, so her sophomore season, right? Was that mm-hmm. how far apart you guys were? I think that's right. Yes. Yep. Um, so she had mono to start the year, and she didn't come back until you guys were in Cancun um, playing mm-hmm. West Virginia. I think it was the West Virginia. Yeah, it was West Virginia game. And she checked right in and immediately got into a scrap, like a loose ball, <laughs> yeah. like fight, and got a technical foul, like a double tech. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, Rachel's <laughs> back, you know, that's Rachel. Oh, yes. So oh, I think the thing yes. that's, I think the thing about her now is like, you kind of laugh about that back then because she's just a young scrappy player, mm-hmm. but I think she's been able to harness that energy in, in a really positive way for a team that's mm-hmm. kind of young around her. And it for stood sure. out to me watching the Drake game and it's hard to be, I think she had a good game stat wise. Like I think if you look at the stat sheet, you can tell that she played well. But to me, it just felt like the ball never stuck in her hands. It felt like the flow was better. It felt like her movement was creating other movement. Mm-hmm. And even in the – like it happened again in the DePaul game, like her energy flipped the entire fourth quarter after a disastrous third, right? For sure. And there's just so many Rachel moments that happen where you're like, that's never going to show up in a box score. But it's absolutely the reason that play went the way it did. And those are the moments that I think are happening more frequently with Rachel. Mm-hmm. is it's less about an unknown variable like okay you know is her aggressiveness going to get her in foul trouble or you know are those are, is she going to be out of control it felt like she's found that like perfect um centered place where she can use all of that all of that energy and enthusiasm that that fires up a team in a positive way i feel like she's really playing the best basketball of her career this year for sure like i was going to say like a refined energy like she's found out like how to put that energy into other places that are more so like not necessarily seen to the naked eye as like oh she's 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 got a foul she's like up in someone's grill but on the offensive end you know screening for people moving more um and so i think yes just like how she's refined that energy um into something into what she's doing now um i think has been very good and as someone who is an elite scorer right so the (laughs) you know the offense is designed to get you the ball and to let you you know make a play let it rip whatever it is how valuable are those players like rachel who will set that screen knowing they're probably going to get bull rushed over because you know the defender's not going to go around it they're just going to go through them and it's probably going to hurt, and they're probably going to hit the deck, and they're probably not going to want to get up. Like, how valuable are those the players that are willing to make those plays 
for others, the ones that they know are going to hurt, but they do it anyway because it sets up um, another teammate and it makes the, uh, you know, obviously the offense more efficient. For sure. Like I remember like distinctly, she did that at least like five times, maybe my senior year, at least five times. I remember a video we were, I think, um, second half, it would have been like the, if we're looking at the basket, right like wing area and like I shoot it she falls down she sets herself in the screen she falls down um and make it four point play like lit and again that's that energy that we maybe needed at that time uh, and so it's super important to have those type of players um willing to one put their body on the line and two being selfless and being a screener um especially for the obviously um big offensive players that they have right now um the big the, the big three i guess you big can three. say <laughs> um so usually yeah. only been two somehow they found a third one for this group right so, yeah. like what the heck yeah. um <laughs> and so um so yeah it's been it's been super like i said using that refined energy and putting it into things like that um defense rebounding um it's just been super helpful for the team and i think every team especially a team that operates like creighton um with our mm-hmm. offense it's people like that for sure what do you like about the big three that <laughs> we've brought them up <laughs> and talked about them a little bit kind of without mentioning their names you know it mm-hmm. feels like they're they're that the coaching staff is kind of allowing them to be basketball players more this year because you see emma ronsa handling the ball you see lauren jensen mm-hmm. playing the one a lot you see morgan molly you know getting sets run for her where she has to post people up and make a play out of a double team or score out of the post. You know, it's not just, I guess if I were an opposing coach trying to scout Creighton, I'd have a really difficult time figuring out what to take away from those three, because whatever you take away, there's always something else that they're really effective at, you know, that, that curveball's there. What do you like about the, the dynamic with those three and the way they're multifaceted on the offensive end of the floor, especially in terms of how hard they're able, how hard it is for other teams to take away their tendencies. I was going to say that I think because they're so different, um, I think it's just super hard. I mean, especially like you said, you're an opposing coach and you're um, trying to figure out defensive why, defensively, like how to disrupt them. And maybe you're trying to go from one person to another and they're flipping people. Like one person's guarding Emma one time, one person's guarding Morgan one time. It's like, they're so different. It's hard to, even with the scout, it's hard to kind of shut that, shut them all down at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they're just, like you said, multifaceted in a way that it's hard for opposing teams to, to, you know, knock two of them out of rhythm. And then you have that mm-hmm. other, you have the third one or, or yeah. one of them out of rhythm, you have the other two. Um, and so, um, yeah, they're just all so different that I think it's just difficult to stick, stick a person on them and be like, all right, you're going to do this, but then you have these other two. It felt like for a minute when the season was getting started that they were all kind of taking churns. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Lauren would have a 10-point quarter, Morgan would have a 10-point quarter, Emma would have a 10-point quarter, even Molly would go off every now and then. Yeah, It just felt like it was like, good Lord, what do you, how do you even know what to think about out there? Like, okay, right. here's how we're going to defend this action. They're going <laughs> to they're gonna go to this player here. Like, let's, yeah. let's make sure our eyes are um, dotted and T's are crossed. Like, and then all of a sudden, someone else starts cooking. Like, oh my god, what do we do here? Yep. I think the Marquette game was a pretty good example of that too, from just from recent memory, because 
and this is how I guess advanced they are offensively. Creighton went in with kind of a game plan to combat however Marquette was going to defend them. So if Chloe Murata, who was, was Marquette's, I guess, four woman, but um, you know, has some versatility that can play the four or the five. I think she's actually old enough. She actually played against you too. So she's one of those players yep. that's been around the league for a little bit. Um the plan for Creighton was whoever Murata's guarding, we're gonna go into the other player in the post and score off the other matchup. And that's how Morgan got cooking, right? Yeah. She scored seven in a row right away. And Marquette had to burn an early timeout. And then out of the timeout, Marquette's doubling Morgan off catches in the post. And then Morgan's finding Lauren Jensen wide open. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, Marquette's a really good defensive team. And they were guessing for 40 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, that's how that's how dangerous Creighton's offense is because they've all played together. But also they have three really, really potent scorers on the yeah. floor at the same time sometimes. And they all know how to play off each other that even as – Disciplined a defensive team as you can have in Marquette has trouble, you know, staying in control on the end of the floor, right? Like it's it's kind yeah. of fun to watch when it gets going like that, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. It's it's so fun. It kind of um like you were talking about. So it reminds me of, for example, when we played um Iowa with Megan Gustafson. And it mm-hmm. was like, all right, if we if we let Megan Gustafson have have her 40, whatever, we should have shut everyone else down. Well, no one has a luxury of doing that <laughs> against Creighton because <laughs> there's three people you have to you could have right. to let go, and that's not going to work. Um, and so it's just it was just reminding me that, um, you know, it's like you said, it's difficult. They might have one game plan, but then there's two other people, four other people mm-hmm. that can uh, that can go off at any time, literally any time, and so yeah. Um, it's just funny, like how how that works and how teams, you know, what they they have to they're gonna have plan A, B, C, and D because yeah. they might not go how, might not go how they wanted it to. Yeah, they have, there's three players on this team that have scored thirty in a game in their Creighton careers, and there's five that have scored twenty. Like <laughs> just knowing that you have the capability to do that with five different players. I mean, you saw. I mean, the Butler game is a good example, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Butler focused on making Morgan Molly's day difficult. They didn't want to let her get space off the catch. They didn't want to let her get post-ups um, one-on-one. So here comes Carly Bachelor off the bench, splashing threes, back cutting like she does, 16 points, like, you know, on eight, 10 shots or whatever, really efficient stuff. Like, they just have so many ways to hit you in the mouth. Yeah. That you kind of have to roll the dice and just hope they're off that day, honestly. <laughs> Seriously. Crazy. Honestly, like that, yeah. yeah. I wish you had a... You probably wish you had an extra score to drop 30, right? Like that would have alleviated a lot of pressure off <laughs> like the you and Audrey, right? If you just have one more 30 piece out there. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the thing that's interesting about this team too, is they're, they're really battle tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious to see how they handle the rest of the schedule. Cause like I did say, it eases up a little bit. So there's that opportunity to maybe let the foot off the gas a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious how you avoid that as a player when you've gone through a difficult part of your schedule and you feel like if you get caught looking ahead and say, oh, man, this stretch looks like there's, you know, four or five games we should take care of and put in the bag and pad our record a little bit with. Like, how do you how do you stay one day at a time as a player? I think um, definitely the coaching staff obviously helps with that. Um, They don't look too far ahead, um, which helps us not look too far ahead as well. but I think you said, like you said, just taking it day by day, game by game, um, and not getting complacent. Um, 
I know making it's it's funny I'm now I don't know why but I think of stuff from like a coach's standpoint um my yeah, boyfriend's dude. a high school coach yeah um, that's right and so and so like we always talk about stuff and so like I've been very much so thinking of stuff from like a coach's standpoint recently but I think just making it tougher making it hard in practice still you know might not be um a or might be an eat not I don't want to say easier game but not as difficult game um, but still challenging them in practice um, and letting them know, like, it's it might not be a cakewalk, but you still need to play hard. And, um, you know, these games, these are the games where you can get complacent, but you don't want that complacency to creep in. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that could just come further down the road as well. Um, and, and, you know, might get popped in the mouth by, by a team you were not <laughs> expecting yeah. to. And well, so, I feel like the I, Providence game probably did that, taught sure. that lesson, right? I think yeah. they just came out that day and said, "Look, we're just gonna we're just gonna bang threes and put this team away, and they won't be able to yeah. keep up." And it's like, you know, you're kind of right a little bit. I mean, Creighton came out and hit. I think eight different players hit threes in the first yep. like ten plus minutes. That's absurd, right? Yeah. But you know, Providence got some easy ones early, and Grace Ifosu got rolling, and she had a career night. And it's like once you get that started, it's hard to shut that off because. As good sure. a defense as you can play, once a player's feeling it, it's it's you're basically at their mercy at that point. So you lose For- a game at home where you hit 16 threes, and you're you're going home thinking, how did that just happen? How do we just how do we just drop that? You know. So I right. think that lesson probably that that Providence game is probably going to be, in a weird way, maybe their most important game of the year. Because, because it taught them a valuable lesson about just coming out and kind of resting on your laurels and. You know, assuming you're the more talented team, so you should be able to overwhelm them if you have a good shooting night. Like, Brayton had a really good shooting night that night, and it wasn't yeah. enough. So I think that game might be a lesson that lasts longer than, you know, playing Stanford or winning at SDSU and or smacking Nebraska, you know, maybe. 100%. Yeah, I would say so. Um, we had we've, we obviously had many, many of those games, I feel like. Um, a loss of Providence for us, too um butler every once in a while never played well there um but yeah hinkle's a house of horrors for everybody yeah yeah, um those types of games um yeah definitely serve as lessons throughout the rest of the season and like yeah you're looking at your team and you're like we're like all right guys like we cannot do what we did against so and so Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. and like you said they they become lessons further down the road um and so, yeah, like it could definitely be one of the most important games of the season. Side note, how do you feel post Creighton career about the fact that they've basically beaten Butler's ass, like historically historic ass whoopings since you left? Like that was the hardest place in the world to play it for, your whole, the, for the duration place. of your career. And then all of a sudden they're just like beating them by their 40 piece in them. Like what happened there? <laughs> we never played well there. And never. we always joke like, even to this day, like we'll send in group chat, like, uh, they're playing at Butler. Like, let's, let's just cross our fingers. Like, and there haven't been, it hasn't been as bad as when we played. So let's just, let's just be, and it ends up being fine, of course. But, yeah. uh, it was, it was so awful. It, I don't know. We never played well. <laughs> I remember, I have to tell a story real quick. I remember we are, I'm on the bench getting, or I'm not, I'm not getting chewed out, but like the whole bench is getting chewed out. And, yeah. <laughs> I can just see it now. Audrey is trying to throw it into Jade, but throws it straight to the other team. And I think like Jade fouls them or something like that. But mm-hmm. Flan was yelling at us and he turns and he's like, what happened? 
and he's looking at us he's like what happened and the coaches and all of us on the bench were like i don't know and i'm not saying anything either. yeah i'm not telling you <laughs> you have to watch the replay yes oh it was i uh, never forget that story so funny but historically bad playing at butler yeah. and yeah. shout out to the team now that they can just whip them and not even not even you know care but for some reason butler was always the the least favorite place to go I swear, people don't understand why I hate Hinkle so much. And it's because it's not just on the men's side. Like, I've watched the women go in there and just look like shells of themselves. It's like that yep. place is not – I don't know what it is, but there's something about that building that just mm-hmm. takes the fun basketball and throws it in the trash can and spits on it. And it's like, no, you're going to go through hell for 40 minutes. Yep, so. absolutely. <laughs> I think Jade even got Jade even got mad at me one time because it was a kid's day game you guys were playing. So it was like 11 a.m., middle of the week probably – and all you can hear on the broadcast is just screaming children. And then the basketball was horrible on top of it. And she's like, I want to retire. I want to quit. <laughs> but it's like, that's what Hinkle just does that to people. I don't know where it is. I just hate that building. It does. Um, it does. I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, <laughs> I just had a side note that. Um, so are you a bracketologist now, Jalen Agnew? Do you have time to look so- at all that? I have been looking at it, and I think we are getting, um, I don't want to say screwed, but screwed, mm. <laughs> because mm. <laughs> I don't think we are, a, are, what is the latest one, nine seed, or that's what we're at yeah, right it's now. Yeah, it's been a nine seed for like a good month. Like, uh, yeah, no, that's that's absolute false. I hope Charlie Cream or whoever does some more research, because I don't Ooh. think that's accurate. I don't like to speak ill of people, but I keep clicking I on those updates, and I go... <laughs> Because here's what a nine seed says to me. Maybe I'm wrong about a nine seed, but a nine seed says to me is like you're maybe one or two losses away from the bubble. Um, yes, you know exactly. you're closer. You're closer to out than in. Like that to me yeah. is what a nine seed is. And I'm like, my senior year, we were we would have been like a yeah. nine seedish. Uh-huh. Yes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So this team is yeah twelve and five. So they've lost five games, but they've played the second hardest schedule in the country. Like I already mentioned earlier on the podcast. And when you go through, and this is what really frustrates me, because it's like, are we even watching games, people? Um, because you go through these resumes, right? And it's like, okay, there's a good win there. Yeah, there's a good win there. But Creighton's not just squeaking by. The right. the, the, the six top 50 wins or the five top 50 wins that they have, it's not like squeakers. Like, they won by 21 at Nova. They beat Nebraska by 26. They beat Seton Hall by 22. Marquette by 26 yep. like those aren't those aren't games those aren't competitive matches like it's it's it, they're getting sm- they're smacking people and you're looking right. at like oh Maryland or Iowa's best win is like you know they won by six at Drake and they beat Northern yeah. Iowa by a couple points and uh gosh who else did they beat you know it's like it's like well, yeah what what's why are that why why are they getting like a three seed love and Creighton's like six lines below them Nova's right. a seven seed but Creighton smacked them yeah, Maryland's a four seed, but Nebraska went to their place and beat them by like thirty. Like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Why is Creighton on the nine line? Why are Why are they struggling to? Why are they closer to the bubble than hosting? Yeah, it, it, I, it doesn't make sense, does it? It It does not make sense. I've always, <laughs> we always joked and said like everyone, whether it's like schools or like bracketologists whatever for some mm-hmm. reason like everyone hates on Creighton like the, everyone gives us our gives us their best game yeah like they hate 
always and then like we get screwed we get screwed (laughs) in the bracketology and it's like why like we don't deserve that and but they're not happening again this year i know they're i know it's it's still early but i need some people to do some more research and figure that out because that should not be accurate you're starting to sound like scurry because jordan scurry uh (laughs) on the men's side he talks about he says those same things he's like for some reason the name creighton just makes people turns people into haters like it does the media the media the media like doesn't think that we're as good and all the teams that we play just want to smack us because we're like we're good so it's annoying but we're not good because we deserve to be kind of thing he says that all the time he has like a oh he has like a tinfoil hat theory it's 100 percent, 100 percent. like i don't know what it is but that's it is what that's what it is yeah it's like right on the t yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know what old charlie cream's thinking but uh yeah, if yeah. I could ever, if I could ever have a conversation, I, I would, I would ask him a lot of questions because there's some, pe- there's some teams that have name value that are getting a little bit too much of a benefit of the doubt when their resumes aren't as flattering. Like that's that's the that's the thing, name value. I name value, man. Not like, like that at all. It's yeah. like okay, in the like in the past, they might have been whatever they were, okay, but just because, like you said, it's their name, they don't deserve to have that and it's annoying i think the last i checked too uh uconn just beat seton hall is in the top 50 now and they just cracked them senseless um so i think uconn right now has five top 50 wins by 20 plus points okay creighton has four no one else has more than two you know what i mean that's what i'm saying it's not like creighton's got like a bunch of like 40 foot buzzer beater, you know, right. lucky day, horseshoe, golden horseshoe up their ass type of days against these teams. Yeah. They're smacking these teams. They're smacking them. And they have eight road yeah. wins. Like, how is that a nine seed? How? It's how are- not a nine seed. That's <laughs> that's what it is. It's not a nine seed. Yeah. Like, think about this a little bit. I, and the, the thing that about the name value part of it is I thought I thought Creighton would have more cachet off of an eight off of an elite eight run, you know, especially when you bring back as many players right. as they did. I thought mm-hmm. that they would have a little bit more respect from, you know, pundits and prognosticators, but it even happened with the AP poll. Like that was yep. frustrating to look at for most of the time too. Cause it's like, you know, it's like Creighton got no benefit of the doubt, you know? Yes. It's like every time they lost, it was like an excuse to just kick them down 10 spots and, you know, they'll 100%. lose again and we won't have to worry about them anymore. You know, it's like, then we can, Prop of all our Big Ten teams, all of our Big 12 teams, you know. And even the NCAA, I'm going off right here, but even the NCAA's uh, Twitter account, they previewed all, like, the big games that are coming up this week. Mm-hmm. They didn't mention Creighton-Villanova. Every single game they talked about, they t- I'm, I'm telling you, they must have named 20 games. So it's not like they only named five. Yeah. They named, like, 20 games, and it was all football conference matchups. That's all it was. Meanwhile, yeah. Creighton and Nova are both, Top 25 net, top 25, top 30-ish her hoop stats. Every metric you look at, they're top 30 at, at, at worst. And that yeah. matchup wasn't even, like, talked about. And it's like, why? Why Why does, why does like, why, do the, why does the Creighton and the Villanovas and the Princetons have to, yeah. you know, go above and beyond to prove that they belong in those conversations on a regular basis? But you have, like, you know, Iowa there all the time, Nebraska there all the time. Yep. You know, schools that are in those vicinities in terms of recruiting and talent and, 
and and then not producing as much as Creighton on the court. Like, why do yeah, why do they have to fight for all the scraps? It's crazy to me. It, it's crazy to me too. I don't get it. I felt like it was like that when I mean when we played too. Like, it's like put some respect on our name, <laughs> like legit, because um, we're out here busting our ass, and like especially this year's team, like. They should be in the AP poll, not the nine seed bracketology, like easily. And for some reason, people like like you said, we have to just try so hard to do that for some reason. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's what our name value has to say, but like I don't know why it's so hard. It's so hard for us, especially like you said, after an elite eight run. Uh, I mean, being successful when we went to NCAA tournament every year, went to NCAA tournament, like from when we played, we at least won like the first round. Like we made every it time. to the, to every the time, round. every time. Yeah. Every and time. so it's like, what, what's going to like get that in your mind that like we, we can do that, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like is not a flash. I don't understand yeah. what else we have to do. I mean, you would think maybe make an elite run. What else we'd have to do to get some respect and then still don't get it. So I don't really know. Yeah. Cause I don't know how you felt going into that IO game last year. But I was just like, that's a toss-up. Like, I know it's at Iowa. I know that place is going to be insanely hostile with 14,000-plus or whatever. And, yeah, Caitlin Clark's really good. I love Caitlin Clark, too, so it, like, puts me in an awkward position because I have to be like, you know, she's good, yeah. but, like, the, the kids in blue are studs, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be surprised if that doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, ABC. Like, For sure. All, your, all, the, oh. all the people in the studio and everything, don't be surprised if Caitlin doesn't walk out and drop 50 on – Whoever this team that you think Creighton, Creighton, how do you say Creighton? Like whoever you think they are, like they're not that team. Like they're not gonna right. roll over like that, you know. So everybody's like Literally, surprised no. when everybody's surprised when it goes that way, and they act like it was a Cinderella story. But it's like, no, that's the second time Creighton's beaten Iowa in the NCAA tournament. Actually, like literally, it's not a, like, that's not an upset. No, yeah, that that was not a surprise. Like obviously, we were very pumped, but like even us, like alumni, we were like, oh, like. We knew going in, we're like, oh, we got this. Like, if we play good, we got this. There's no question. And for some reason, it's like a huge question mark to everyone else, but not for us. I don't know why. Like, yes, they have Caitlin. I love Caitlin as well. Great player, of course. But we have also a squad, not just two players. We have a squad. And that's the part of it that that that, that messed with my mind so much throughout November, December, even in the offseason when the rankings were first released in the preseason. It's like – Oh, Iowa, Iowa State top 10 and like Creighton 22. Like, hold up. Pretty sure six months ago, we, right? saw, we, we answered those questions six months ago. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, you know, <laughs> like in Iowa's own gym. Like, I, I, yep. I, I don't know why you gave them the benefit of that. Because then when, when Iowa loses or when Iowa State loses, which they have, their fall is like still top 15 landing. Yes. Creighton's yep. fall is like we don't even think about you anymore. Like they're getting, I think Creighton has five points total. They're on two ballots, two top twenty-five ballots right now, and it's like twenty-three and twenty-five. Up. It's like, why? What? Oh, look at who they've played. Literally, Those are the same players. I, they brought the same team back, basically. I literally look at the like AP poll every Monday, whatever, and I'm like, why are we not like why are we not in this? Like I'm looking, I'm like, this is nuts. Like we should not be out. Like Villanova, Villanova was what twenty five this, yeah. this week. Nova still, Nova like, still ranked. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, <laughs> like, 
are are they just forgetting about us or like yeah. what's the deal because it's, it's not correlating <laughs> in my mind <laughs> mine either um i'm gonna turn the temperature down a touch i promise i'm gonna crank it back up though because I, I got i got something else to get off my chest um that's three years running but creighton villanova tomorrow night is a huge game um yes. And I'm glad you're on the pod tonight, too, because uh, you're one of the few living human beings, probably, that can say they held Maddie Segris below 20 points on two occasions. Um, granted, in, in, in fairness to Maddie, she was a young player at the time, but still, yeah. she was coming off of, she had a 40 piece by then, too, so she was still a bucket and a half. Um, mm-hmm. So just, you know, in terms of, first of all, the player you remember playing against and... Mm-hmm what she's turned into now and what you feel like are the keys defensively for Creighton to limit effectiveness and also not let like, you know, a tough shot that goes in rattle you defensively, like all of that. How do you feel about um, that aspect of dealing with Maddie Segrist tomorrow? For sure. Um, I think you, you could definitely see her become this Um, as a freshman. She was, putting up numbers um and so like it doesn't one within her first 10 games or something like yeah. that it was like she already, so she already had a 40 ball me, <laughs> but i by any means that she's had like 10 the last 10 games have been like 27 plus points with a couple like 38s 40 in there maybe um does not surprise me one bit at all um mm. but i don't know i think she's just she's long athletic it's hard Mm -hmm. to match up of course that's why she's scoring this much um of course but um i think just for me at least we kind of were i she was a little bigger than me so we took it in the post a little bit more i was more i played more outside but we were kind of similar in a way that we could battle um a little bit and so i think i don't know the exact game plan but i mean this could be like a Megan Gustafson. I can never say Gustafson. Great. Gustafson. Thank you. I can never say it. This could be one of those types of situations where you're like, let her go off, control everyone else kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Which wouldn't surprise me if Flynn did that (laughs) because we've been successful in the past. Um, And like, let her get her, let her get hers. But um, yeah, I think, um, she's just it's a tough matchup you know it and really at the rate the rate she's playing right now like you know you, you could stop her a little bit but you're not gonna stop her the whole game you know and she's on an she's on an absolute tear right now yeah. um yeah she's leading the country at like 29 points a game or just a little bit under and i think the next closest is like three points per game under her so it's 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 ridiculous she's actually mm-hmm. I think she's 18 points away from becoming the all-time leading scorer in Villanova history. So very nice. likely she um, checks that box uh, tomorrow night. Um, For sure. But, you know, I, I rewatched the first matchup again this morning. And, uh, you know, it's just – it's one of those things that I, I know that Creighton's going to throw multiple defenders at her, and I know they're going to try to, mm-hmm. you know, double her when they can or help when they can or stunt at her when they can. But they, the thing with Villanova is that makes the first game maybe a little bit of an aberration in my mind is they have, you know, players who are dangerous around her. Like, you know, Lucy mm-hmm. Olsen's a sophomore point guard. I believe she's a sophomore, but she's 43% from three. Maddie Burke is a transfer from Penn State. She's a 40% three-point shooter. So 
there's players around her that you have to be careful of. You have to know where they're at because you can't just, mm-hmm. you know, you can't just box up Maddie and, and let them cook because they probably can beat you that way. The thing that For didn't sure. happen in the first matchup was those players just didn't make shots. Like they had looks. Um, so Creighton got a little bit lucky in that regard in the matchup. But I, but I still think it's going to be a similar situation because, you know, there's only so much you can do to stop a player that's that good, like you said, because she comes at you mm-hmm. with, with size, intelligence, athleticism, like that's that's a that's a dangerous combination there. There's only so much you can do as a defensive team. Um, so I think the thing that's key for Creighton is limiting turnovers. As as they won by 21 at Nova, despite turning it over 18 times, so that's an aberration on Creighton's part. I don't think for Creighton's sure. going to turn the ball over that much because Nova doesn't really force turnovers for- like that either, too. So I think Creighton will be better offensively, but I also think Nova will too. And I think Mm -hmm. we're going to see a little bit of a different game in that regard because I don't think either team played really well offensively despite how that game went the first time. Um, So that's one thing I'm looking at. The other thing is, too, when you watch watch that game is it felt like most of the shots Maddie Segrist hit were against really good sound defense, like players in great position, hand up, Mm -hmm. not giving her space, and she knocked them down. And then there were ones where she was able to maneuver and find an angle and get an opening that she missed. So it's like you kind of have to live with some give and take there, don't you, as a defender? <laughs> oh, like, for sure. You just got to be like, she's going to hit some tough ones. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't let that kind of frustrate me. Isn't that kind of the key to it at that point or uh, when you're playing someone that good is just don't get frustrated. She's going to hit some tough ones. Just live with it, move on, make sure you're in the right position next time. 100%. You know, like um... – like you said, she's averaging 29, you said. Like, she's averaging 29 for a reason. She's going to find a way to score. <laughs> so to not get discouraged, like, just make it as hard as possible to for her to achieve that 29 um, if she gets to that point, of course. But um, I think just making it hard and making her work for it. Because, um, you know, if she gets hard in the offensive end, then that slows her down defensively and just that type of stuff um, to think about. Um, That's the other or, part of it you know, too. I want to. I wanted to ask you about. Sorry to interrupt, but mm-hmm. can you yeah. play? Can you almost play? Can you almost defend her by making her work offensively? Because like, if you look at where she likely is going to match up, it's probably against Morgan or Emma, right? So with can they do things def- on the offensive end in terms of being physical and being active and making her chase through screens and everything that would kind of sap some of her effectiveness on the offensive end without actually having to play any defense on her in the first place? Like, is that part oh, of it? 100%. That's going to be the key, I think. Um, they're active, moving a lot, um, making it hard for her. Um, then it's going to be tougher for her on the offensive end. Um, and so they try to keep that in mind to not be stagnant. And because that's where, that's where if you're not moving, that's where she can get some energy and be ready to go. And so, um, making her work defensively um, will definitely help them when she gets on offense. I was trying to figure out how to say that. I know right. you're good. There's yes. your key to the game from uh, Coach Agnew. Um, yeah, I do feel like that's that's probably like an underrated part of it because, you know, as much as as much trouble as she's going to be on the offensive end, she has to deal with some badasses too. Like Emma and Morgan, like we said, are both capable of scoring 30 in their own right. They just don't have to do it every night like Maddie does. So, um, yeah. yeah, that'll be interesting to see how much they can like 
the other part of it is like how 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 well can Nova hide her like keep her fresh mm-hmm. offensively because I think Creighton because they play you know because their base offense is that motion like you know they're they're gonna seek her out right they're gonna try to find her um, for sure so how much can they make her work on the defensive end take away those legs in the fourth quarter will be interesting to watch won't it for sure timeout real quick I saw Colin Gillespie try to clap back at you. <laughs> I was Good. like, all right, all right, Colin, let's just relax here. He was hyping up both squads, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh I hope I don't I, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident I can I'll get that one back, but yeah, I, I think he <laughs> I think he's expecting Maddie to come in and cook and I think uh if he's watching, I think he might be surprised that she's not the only yeah. chef in the house tomorrow night. So um For sure, yeah. The only chef in the kitchen tonight. At at him yeah. at some point. Hopefully. Yeah, I have the screenshot, so he's not going to be allowed to delete. He's not getting. He's not there getting you know. getting away with the delete <laughs> on that one. So, all respect to Maddie, but Creighton's got yeah. some ballers too. Is all I'm trying to say. That's um, true. and honestly, to my point about what Colin said, <laughs> it wasn't to clap at Maddie. It was to clap yeah. at the fans, man. This is the, this is where I'm going to end the pod right here. I'm going to get back on the soapbox and start screaming a little bit. Where are these people? And this is. And, I, and this is the point where I lose my journalistic credibility because I'm supposed to be an impartial <laughs> observer. But I tried being nice about it when you were going through, when you and Audrey were going through your playing mm-hmm. days and, you know, tried like um, polite persuasion to be like, hey, yo, uh, these, these, you know, these kids are working hard. They're fighting through injuries just like everybody else. And they're, you know, they're doing everything they can to represent the C on the front. Uh, with as much pride as you feel as a fan, right? So why aren't you showing up to watch them do their thing because they're doing it at a high level? That was the frustration for me because people people think I'm doing it from the perspective of a fan, and I'm not. I really have shut that part off. I really have. Yeah. The perspective I'm the point of view I'm coming from is I watch you guys practice every day, and I watch like you know I see the tears, I see the frustration, I see the hard stuff that doesn't always get you know, put in the spotlight. Right. So I know how much is invested in, in performing well. And when you put together, like you said, your teams have, you have, you were on multiple NCAA tournament teams, multiple teams that won NCAA tournament games. You won a big East title. You won a big East player of the year. You got drafted. And it's like, you know, average attendance was barely over a thousand. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you got 1400 in the building, you felt it. Cause it was like, Oh, wow. There's a lot of people yeah. in here, you know, and you're st- sure. and then you come this year and you watch the run they make last April and you go, all right, listen, no one really showed up to watch this team all year, despite the fact that that's they were elite offensively, like setting yeah. records. Uh, they were a record-setting offense, right? Led the, led the mm-hmm. country in assist rate, uh, had multiple record-setting three-point performances, went to the Elite Eight. None of that was an accident. Don't let – this team scratch uh barely scratch over a thousand fans a game again like they deserve better than that you know what i'm saying 100 and then and then the home opener against nebraska happens right and it's like wall to wall blue yeah like it's not like a red takeover uh yeah. it was like 90 to 10 in my opinion blue and then they played really well on top of it it's like okay yeah i feel like there's a chance for that to take off take off here you know like they'll mm-hmm. They'll draw now because they're off the Elite Eight run. They're off to a good start. 
Um, they played really well in front of a packed house. Like that will translate. People will be like, oh, this is a really good team. I need to follow this team all year. And it has not happened like that for some reason. They did sell out the UConn game. But if you were in that building, you know it was like 60-40 UConn fans all lining up for autographs with yeah. Paige and AZ. And we couldn't even get through the tunnel to go to do the media or the press conference because they were taking selfies with Gino in the hallway. And it was like a madhouse. I've never seen SoCo like that in my life. You're and right. it's like, Jalen, where are the fans? Like, I'm not even asking for 18,000. But you yeah, shouldn't yeah. be. they shouldn't be 100th in the women's game. That's where they're at. Like they're barely, they're not drawn more than, than like Old Dominion and like Toledo and like why? What's going on? What am I missing here? I don't know what is going on. I mean, like you said, you would think coming off an Elite Eight run, it's like this team are bringing everyone back. They're gonna be good. You're watching like one of the purest forms of basketball like ever with the way we, sh- the way we shoot, the way we pass, the way we run our offense. Like why why is that not like why would you not want to watch that you know um and so I just don't understand what what people are what their thought process is on that because um like I said it's like one of the purest forms of basketball Wasn't so if you like the you? game then you should like you should like watching us that's what yeah if you like basketball I feel like this yeah yeah what do you what 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 don't you think is happening here exactly um, does it affect you guys. As players, like, do you do, like? I'm trying to think what the translatable thing will be. Like, but you've played at Frost Arena, right? You've played at mm-hmm. PBA. Like, you've seen the crowds. I mean, we were we were both in uh, Iowa City, right? Weren't you? Were you in Iowa City last year? I was not in Iowa City last year. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, right. I mean, I know, I know what. But I, 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 talk yeah. but we know what we know what what big crowds look like, right? We know that we've yeah. seen them for women's basketball before. And how much of an impact they can have, right? Like, does it does it does it frustrate you a little bit as a player when you when you go through a career and you feel like you got a good team and you feel like you guys are playing well, and then you know you run out for introductions and it's like just friends and family essentially, like and maybe a couple of your friends in the student body. Like, does it frustrate you as a player at all, or do you not think about it? I would say, I mean, it probably differs from person to person, of course, but. Um, for me, I would say it's not as frustrating as, um, for example, like obviously this makes, I'll figure out how this goes together, but like getting those fans would help almost with the, I think like AP poll, the, the like bracketology stuff, I think, um, yeah. because, you know, you're like, all right, you're going to play at Creighton. That's a hard place to play their fans are always loud blah 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 mm-hmm. and i think that stuff kind of flows together in some aspect mm-hmm. um like i mean playing at south dakota state you know everyone's like oh it's a hard place to play that's and that's why they've you know kind of hung around that 20s receiving votes for the last however many years you know when they were right good yeah. um and so i think that all that stuff kind of always goes together um but i would say it didn't frustrate me more so as a player it was maybe just a little disappointing it's like Mm -hmm. we're we're really good um and there's been obviously a huge um huge like uptake or whatever in women's basketball viewership and it's like why are we not getting that same that same thing here um 
And so I think maybe more so just disappointing versus frustrated, I think. Yeah, it's it's something I can't explain because when you look at um, men's basketball, volleyball, men's soccer, baseball, like all the programs and women's basketball, like those are the five, those are the five programs at Creighton um, that are played in front of like crowds, right? Mm-hmm. Where they've all kind of had consistent, relatively consistent postseason success and season to season success, right? Like those mm-hmm. are the five healthiest programs on Creighton's campus. And when you look at like the last 10 or so years, as far back as the data will let you go, like baseball is a top 20 draw in the country. Men's basketball is a top 10 draw in the country. Mm-hmm. Volleyball is a top 20 draw in the country. Men's soccer, especially when they're good, are a top 10 draw yeah. in the country, maybe even top five. And then you look at women's basketball and it's like the best they do is like 70s, 80s. I'm so confused by that because their success, I could argue, is is other than probably volleyball of the last decade, they've probably been the most successful program. When you look at For sure. NCAA tournament success, you get at large bids, which means you're having a good season, not just mm-hmm. getting hot in the conference tournament and making your way there. You know, and then you're always in the round of thirty-two on someone else's yeah. home floor in their environment with a packed house trying to figure out a way to win, right? Like that's and then you mentioned the part of it about perception. I've been thinking the last couple of weeks as I watch these, you know, at these home games happen in front of like, you know, I'm staring at nobody. I'm staring at blue seats. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, why would Creighton even bid to host? You know right. what I'm saying? They should mm-hmm. because you don't want to travel if you don't have to. You want to play in your own yeah. gym, you want to sleep in your own bed. But why would they? No one turns out to watch them play. Yeah. Not to the degree they need an environment like that for the NCAA tournament. And they play better sure. on the road because I think they they rally around each other to the fact that they think, A, because they're in a hostile environment, but B, also because maybe in the back of their minds, and I don't know this for a fact because I haven't asked them, but maybe in the back of their minds they know it's just like the people that matter to them are just friends and family. They're the ones who have been showing up all year and it's not really anything else. So they just kind of rally around each other and make it an us-against-the-world type of thing. And that's why they play better on the road. But I'm like, I can't, I I don't want to watch another home crowd home game where they, where I'm looking at 90% blue seats across the way, like, and trying to figure out where's everybody at. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't understand it. They play a fun style. They're good. And they play good teams too. So it's like, it's not like they're bringing in these scrubs to just beat them by 50. And it's not a fun, it's not a fun, like back and forth contest to watch. Like they've Mm -hmm. played, five or six i think i think friday will be the sixth team they've played this year at home i believe that has like you know ncaa tournament capabilities yeah and i'll be i'll be i'll i'll be perplexed if it's not 2000 plus i just don't understand how how you can't draw that easily into that gym for a game i don't either especially like you said with i mean we share the same gym as volleyball and yes volleyball has had like a lot of success but we also have, and it's like, where where's the overlap from those fans? You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I just I don't I don't know. I'm not really sure. I don't either. It is confusing. So hopefully, uh, I'll you know, people have been getting mad at me because I've been more abrasive about it this year. But it's like, <laughs> I've been nice for three years, and yeah, and it hasn't changed anything. So maybe I should just try being meaner and more right? uh, more more direct about it. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what else to try after this, but you know. 
hopefully the fact that Villanova is a top 25 team and they have a premier, you know, arguably the national player of the year at this point in the, yeah. in the season um, will be enough of like a headline draw in terms of a, of a foil. They're like, oh, yeah. I want to see Creighton versus Big Bad Maddie kind of thing. Like if that's how it's built up, if that's For what sure. draws you in, um, however it has to be, I just hope there's a good crowd on hand tomorrow night because honestly, Villanova deserves it too. And Villanova has been drawing this year. They had 1,700 yeah. in their building for Xavier the other night. And Xavier's trash. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 They've been, they've drawn over 2,100 four times already this year in their own building. They had 2,800 for Creighton when Creighton beat them by 21. So yeah, that's what that... I mean. Like, I just, it's possible. It's not like, I'm, it's not like Creighton, um, you know, needs to go above and beyond to start outdrawing football schools that have 10,000 seat yeah. arenas and things like that. You know <laughs> what I mean? Sure. There's still a gap to close there before they, they, they're behind Drake. They're behind Northern Iowa. They'd be yeah. fifth in the MVC in attendance if they, you know, That's if they were still in that conference. That's not acceptable. Like, yeah. I know if 16,000 strong is legitimate, there's 2,500 of you that are true blue diehards that can go to Sokol and watch this team play. Like, 100%. It, it should, <laughs> it shouldn't be like it sh- I shouldn't be able to do a head count and have it all tallied up by the end of the second quarter. Like that, Definitely that should not, not be possible. You know what I'm saying? Nope. So show up, watch this team play. I'm only going to keep pissing you off by telling you to be out there <laughs> to watch them. So it's not going to stop. Um, that's all I got for tonight. It was a uh, it was good to get this podcast back and rolling. I hope to keep it going. Um, I apologize for the hiatus. Just some things happened. Uh, didn't go according to plan, but. I hope to keep it rolling now um, through the rest of the year for sure. And I appreciate Jalen Acne for coming on and offering, you know, her analysis of Villanova, her analysis of the Blue Jays, and then letting me rant a little bit about <laughs> bracketology and home attendance. For sure. Thanks for letting me on and letting me rant with you as well. No problem. All right. Well, I'm sure you'll be tuning in tomorrow. So hopefully everybody's out, gets out to Sokol if they can. If not, if not, if it's not possible, if it is possible, you better be there. If it's not possible, it's on FS1 again. Um, Creighton's been on kind of a run here. I think four straight games on national television. So I think this is the last one of those. Um, so it's an APM tip-off on FS1, you know, for the out-of-staters and people who can't be in the building tomorrow night. So you'll be able to catch it there. Um, yeah. So for Jalen Agnew, I am Matt DeMarinas. This has been your Sokol Snipers podcast. Take care, everyone.